Once again, thank you so much for being here on this New Year's Eve Sunday. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 4.16 this morning. We're taking a brief hiatus from our series in Daniel. We've had a few messages from Ezekiel and Jeremiah uh, surrounding the Christmas season. And now as we look ahead to 2024 and look back on 2023, we want to pause and head over to 1 Timothy 4.16. For those that are visiting, thank you so much for being with us. We're so glad that you're here. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one for you underneath the seats in front of you. And in that particular copy of God's Word, it is on page 933, 933, 1 Timothy 4, uh, 16. As always, everything that we do here at Grace Baptist, we strive that it would be from the Word of God. This is not our opinions, our thoughts of brilliance or otherwise, our hobby horses or pet peeves, uh, our stories even. This is God's story. This is His Word and we are rooted in and founded on the Bible and it alone. So we want to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, and we want to look at 1 Timothy 4.16. It is a constant struggle to keep the main thing the main thing, isn't it? Not just in the week between Christmas and New Year's and as it relates to our diet, but really throughout our lives. It is uh, constantly an issue that we are bombarded by distractions away from what is important. We are oftentimes driven by the urgent instead of the necessary. Uh, We find ourselves pulled in a million different directions, and we find it very difficult to focus on what we need to focus on and instead give our attention to lesser things. And so Paul has a message for us. It is very similar to a message that he has for the Ephesian elders, In Acts chapter 20, that's one of the passages in our questions for the reflection, but in Acts 20, Paul on his way to Jerusalem to be arrested and eventually sent to Rome, stops in Miletus, and he calls for the Ephesian elders, they meet him there, and he has a message for them, and the message that he has for them is very similar to the message that he has here for Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, to pay careful attention to yourselves and to the doctrine. There are three uh, imperatives here, uh, three commands, and then they result in two indicatives, true truths. And this is the only passage that I'm aware of in the entire New Testament where there is a guarantee of salvation. Now before we dive in too far, we need to be aware that it's not a guarantee of justification. That is God's realm and his realm alone, but it's a guarantee of sanctification. If you have a relationship with God through Christ by the Spirit and you do these three things, you will save yourselves and all who listen to you. That's a pretty weighty guarantee. And so we want to dive into that this morning. So follow along if you would. It's a short verse, three imperatives, two indicatives for us to consider this morning. Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Now again, that word save there, there are at least three different ways that's used in the New Testament. There is salvation that speaks of the past reality, the forensic, the legal reality that we know as justification, 
we are saved by Christ alone and his cross work. Then save is used in the New Testament in an ongoing sense, in a practical sense, in an experiential sense. We label that sanctification, that ongoing process of being set apart, of living out what is true about us. We call that sanctification. And then there is the reality of being saved. It is a yet future full realization of what the, the good work that Jesus Christ has begun in us, which is our glorification. And what Paul's referencing here is our sanctification. Our salvation in a justification sense comes from God and cannot be taken away from us. God, it will always hold us fast. But maintaining that relationship, that reality of ongoing, working out our salvation, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, has to do with what Paul is talking about here. And he says, if you do these three things, you will save yourself, you will keep yourself in right relationship with God, and you will also do that for anyone who listens to you. That's a heavy promise, a weighty promise indeed, and worth our consideration as we look back on 2023 and forward to 2024. There is so much that will distract us. So many things that call for our time and our attention, our resources, our money, our mental acuity. There's so many things that call for us to give attention to them. Our culture is rife with them. And even amongst Christians, there are many different things. No doubt your inbox is as full as mine or maybe even more full of all kinds of appeals and pleas for year-end donations. Give to this cause, give to this cause, give to our cause over here. Uh, keep this going in 2024. Go here, look at this, do this. All of these things come our way. And yet Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, focus on these three things, which is really focusing on one thing, and thereby you will sanctify yourself and anyone who listens to you. And so, keeping a close watch in the first place then, we need to pay careful attention. He says, keep a close watch. This is something that needs to have the bulk of our time and energy. This is something that needs to be urgent and necessary in our lives. But far too often it would seem anything else is. The statistics are fairly um, disheartening when it comes to Christians that read their Bible versus Christians that don't. That would be one of those main things, one of the reasons why we promote a regular reading of God's Word. We've been doing that for the last number of years, and our borrowing plan is out in the Welcome Center, as Pastor Luke mentioned. I would encourage you to take a copy of that and follow that through, or maybe have your own Bible reading plan, but reading God's Word on a regular basis is one of those main things. Another thing is prayer. It's dismal <laughs> in many ways. The reality of prayer in our lives, or I should say the reality of a lack of prayer in our lives. We need to pray, but we oftentimes fail to do so. We need each other. We need the uh, assembly, the gathering of the saints, but oftentimes it only happens if we have nothing else on our schedules. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're to keep a close watch on ourselves, pay careful attention to ourselves. And yet, all too readily, we pay careful attention to other things. 
The church at Ephesus is an interesting case study because it's the church that we know the most about in the New Testament. Paul goes there and acts, but he can only stay for a short period of time, and he goes back to Antioch to check back in with his sending church. But then he heads back to Ephesus, and it's the place that he spends the most amount of time in of any of the churches that he visits on his missionary journeys. He's in Ephesus for a full three years. He rents space in the hall of Tyrannus after he goes to the synagogue, which is his practice. And he is there consistently debating, discussing, discipling. Many people come to faith in Ephesus, so much so that it causes an uproar in the city. They abandon or seem to abandon worship of Artemis. And the silversmiths are all in an uproar. They try to have uh, Paul uh, expelled from the city. They succeed in doing so. But... Paul's there the longest of any of the cities that, he's, that he visits on his missionary journeys. Then he meets them in Acts 20, as we've already mentioned. He talks to the Ephesian elders before he is arrested and sent to Rome for the first time. He sends Timothy there to set things in order, and that's where Timothy is as he's writing the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. Then Jesus himself speaks to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 one of the seven churches that Jesus directly addresses in Revelation, which we'll get to, Lord willing, in the fall of 2024. So we know the most about the church at Ephesus of any of the other churches in the New Testament. We know that they started well. A lot of good things happened in Ephesus. Many people came to faith in Christ. And yet the last thing that we know about them in the New Testament is Jesus' report of them and his message directly to them in Revelation chapter 2. And what does he say about the church at Ephesus? Man, on theology, you're killing it. Well done. You're holding fast to the truths of God's word, and you are loudly warning against false teachers and heretics. Fantastic. Good job. But I have this against you. You've lost the love that you had for me at the first. Churches can get their eyes off the gospel in many different ways. One of the ways we can do that is we can adopt a false love and abandon truth. And we have churches here in our province as well as across our nation that have done that, and it's sad to see. But we can also hold fast to truth and abandon love. And I think churches such as ours are more susceptible to that error than the other. But it is equally an error. And so, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Pay careful attention. Do you find yourself going down one path of theology and belief and excluding others? Do you find yourself doing certain things but ignoring others? To be a follower of Jesus Christ is a holistic reality. It's everything, it's all or nothing. Remember the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? We'll keep the commandments. And what does he say? With a hint of pride, certainly, but also, I think, sincerity. Absolutely, because Jesus loved this man. It says so in the text. He loved this rich young ruler. He says, I've kept those from my youth up. I have a sincere desire to follow after God. Help me in that. And so what does Jesus say? Well, then the last thing that you have to do is sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And what is his response? 
He goes away deeply sorrowful because who did, what did he love more than God? And how did Jesus expose that? He loved money more than God. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means that we love nothing more than him. He is our everything. And we listen to all that he has to say. And we attempt to follow everything that he has left for us to do. We don't cherry pick and pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. And so Paul says to Timothy, keep a careful watch. Keep close attention. On what? Keep a close watch on yourself. I do a fair amount of biblical counseling. I'm excited to teach the course starting next Sunday. I encourage you to take that if you're available. But as I attempt to point people to Scripture, especially in counseling situations where there's conflict, here's how it normally goes. If we have a conflict with somebody, we are ready at a moment's notice to share all of the things that they have done against us. We've got the list. We add to it depending on our perception and the length of the conflict. But we are ready to go at a moment's notice. In fact, oftentimes we don't even need any prompting. We just need a listening ear as we go off on how horrible this person is that we're engaged in conflict with. What seems to be the more difficult assignment, which is the first assignment that I give to anyone who comes to me for biblical counseling as it relates to a conflict. What have you done to cause the current state of affairs? Now, that's a completely different reality. <laughs> well, I mean, what did I do? I mean, I, I, it's been so long I don't remember, but I mean, I'm awesome, so I couldn't have been much. But this other person, oh my goodness, let me tell you about them for the next hour. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? You are attempting to help somebody with a splinter, an eyelash, a piece of sawdust in their eye. Meanwhile, you have a telephone pole, literally, sticking out of your eye socket. Let's deal with that first, shall we? So Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch, pay careful attention to what? First of all, to yourself. And this is their second point. We need the same gospel that we proclaim. We don't move beyond the gospel. Well, we try. But the reality is we can never move beyond our need for the gospel. As someone has said, we sometimes feel like the Christian life is that our first class in the Christian life as we go to school, so to speak, is the gospel. It's sort of like Christianity 101. It's the basics Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Fantastic. Done that. Got an A+. Plus. Good. What's next? And we want to move on to the next things, the next class, the next thing of learning. Uh, and when we first come to faith in Christ and our eyes are open and our hearts are, are full, we, we just want to study everything. What we need to realize is the gospel is not the first class that we take in the Christian instruction, the Christian life, the Christian experience. It's the building in which all of the classrooms are housed. The gospel is the thing. And like a diamond, all we do is we look at different facets of it in different lights. 
And it takes us a lifetime and will take us into eternity to revel in the beauty that is the good news. But we don't move past it and we definitely don't move beyond our need of it. And so we need to ask ourselves as we look back on 2023 and forward to 2024, where have we lacked humility this year? Where have we believed ourselves to not be in need of God's grace? Where have we begun to subtly adopt a karmic view of life? I do good things, therefore God owes me good results. Instead of a grace-infused view of life. I am a sinner, desperately in need every moment of every day for God's grace. Where have we not frequently, consistently asked for forgiveness? And where have we withheld it? And where are we currently, as you sit here this morning, withholding it from others who have asked for it? Where have we begun to believe that we're above the very gospel that we say others need? That we're better than, smarter than, more morally upright than? Where have we left off our need of Jesus? To put it another way, where has Jesus become boring to us? Where has that become old news? Where have we come, become enamored with the new and the sparkly and the deeper, we think? Where have we abandoned Mary's posture of sitting at Jesus' feet and adopted Martha's of being busy, ostensibly in service of Jesus, all the while ignoring him in the next room? Where has our thoughts been more about us, our intellect, our gifts, our talents, and less about this amazing reality that we are great sinners, but there's a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Whereas his grace lost some of its luster in your thinking and in your practice. So Paul says to Timothy, first, keep a close eye on yourself. Timothy, you need the same gospel that the people at Ephesus need, that the people around the globe need, and you never stop needing it. You're always in need of the gospel. You're always in need of the good news of the grace and mercy of God. You are never perfect. You are always a work in progress. And God's grace and mercy is always there for you. And so you should always be grateful and thankful and humbled by that. So keep a careful watch. The church at Ephesus didn't. <laughs> They became proud of their godliness. Can you imagine that? Yep, because I have, and so have you. We are saints, but we ought not to be Pharisees. I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, especially not that guy. But what does the tax collector say? Just, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who do you think went down to his house justified? 
So Paul says to Timothy, never forget where you came from and never forget your need of the same gospel that you proclaim. Keep a careful watch on yourself. What else do we need to pay careful attention to? We need to always focus on the gospel. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the what? The teaching. The teaching of what? The gospel. What has Paul given his attention to all the way through 1 Timothy and even in this chapter? We read some of this in our liturgy. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, 1 Timothy 4.1, by devoting themselves to what? Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. What is that? The gospel. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What is Paul's continual message to Timothy? Don't get bored with Jesus. Don't leave off the gospel. Because God is infinite, he can never be boring. There is always more to know of him. So don't leave off him. The only message that saves is that God is the only one who can save. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Only God can save. Don't leave off that precious truth. Don't abandon that for something else. And it's so subtle and so insidious and so prevalent. What did Solomon say all the way back in the book of Ecclesiastes? Of the writing of books, there is no end. There's always something new out there. Read this, study this. What about this? Have you ever seen this, 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 this? And Paul says to Timothy, this is the message. Once for all delivered to the saints, we are great sinners and there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is the message that we know that has transformed us, and that is the message that we proclaim. Don't leave off that message. Don't substitute that for anything else. And we've been tempted. Coming out of COVID, and now on to other things. We have theology forums on things like social justice and all of these realities. We are tempted by many things to leave off the simple gospel. And Paul says to Timothy, pay careful attention to yourself and also to the teaching. The teaching of what? The good news of Jesus Christ. You can't argue somebody into the kingdom. You can't debate somebody into a relationship with God. And you definitely can't do that on social media. You ever seen that on social media? It's fantastic, really. Somebody says in the comment stream, you know, I never looked at it that way. I've changed my total mind after your one comment. It's fantastic. Thank you for that. We need to walk with people. We need to live alongside of people. We need to listen to people. We need to be reminded of who we once were before Jesus met us. And understand that that's where they are without him as well. We need to hear their story. We need to listen to them. We need to walk with them. And we need to share Christ with them.
and not in an overburdening, bang you over the head with the gospel sort of way, but in a real relational way. We're going to be talking about that throughout 2024. How do we share our faith effectively? We need to do more of that. We need to be in relationship with individuals that do not yet know Christ so we can introduce them to him. Always focus on the gospel. But what do we we need to know in the fourth place this morning? That this will be a constant struggle. Because what does he say in the next place? Persist in this. The third imperative. Pay careful attention on yourself and on the teaching of the gospel. But you need to persist in this. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be a constant struggle. There's, there's constantly distractions away from it. Walk back through, well, quickly if you would, in 1 Timothy 4. Notice some of the active words. Verse 6, put these things before the brothers. Have nothing to do, verse 7. Train yourself, verse 7, for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. This, tr- this saying is trustworthy of, and of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, more active words, tough, hard-working words, roll up your sleeves and get the work done, words. Command and teach these things, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Verse 16, persist in this. Throughout this entire chapter, Paul continually says to Timothy, this is hard work, Timothy. It's so easy to get distracted. Some of us have already made some resolutions, as Andrew opened the service with with, uh, drawing our attention to. We're ready to go. It's even on a Monday, Jan 1. It's fantastic. So never all new things start. And yet, how are we going to get there to meet our goals? Because most of us will violate our resolutions by Tuesday. It takes work. It takes effort. To understand this type of work is not the same as that type of work. This is gospel work. This is not effort in the sense of, thanks God for the grace, I have just enough that I need to make it in, now I'm going to carry myself all the way home. That's, that's not gospel work. That's not how it works. Gospel work is continually reminding ourselves that we are not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough, we're not moral enough. Good gospel work is constantly reminding ourselves of our continual need for his grace. Good gospel work is repentance. When's the last time you said, I am sorry, I was wrong? When's the last time your kids heard that from you? See, as Christians, the beauty of the gospel is there's nothing that anyone can say against us that we haven't already admitted. 
Because the gospel frees us from the penalty of sin. And yet bound up in our pride as we frequently are, what do we want to do? We want to justify ourselves. We want ourselves to look better than we know ourselves to be. We're more concerned about our reputation than our character. We're not quick to repent, not nearly as quick as we need to be. When's the last time you asked somebody's forgiveness? When's the last time that was from somebody that you believe to be in an inferior position to you? This is the call of the gospel in our lives. And Paul tells Timothy, it's hard work. You have to command and teach this. You have to toil and strive in this. You have to immerse yourself in this. You have to practice this. You have to persist in this. I read my Bible this year. I checked off all the boxes. I'm awesome. Nope. (laughs) You obviously didn't read the same Bible the rest of us were. And I prayed. I prayed every day. Praise the Lord. What an amazing Christian I am. Well, you need to change what you're asking for because a little humility would be in order. Keep coming back to the gospel. The good news, we are great sinners, but there's a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. He can change you. He is changing you. I hope you can look back over 2023 and even talk to those closest to you and say, how have you seen me grow closer to being like Christ in 2023? Well, these are the ways that I've seen you become more Christ-like. Praise God. He's still at work. He's still changing us. He's still making us new. The message we proclaim is not that because we believe in Jesus, we're better than everybody else. No. The message is because we know that we're not better than anyone else, we need Jesus. That's the gospel, and it's tough work. Paul says to Timothy, this constant struggle of believing that you are justified and sanctified and glorified by anything else other than the gospel, by anyone other than God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a constant distraction. So stick to keeping the main thing the main thing. And then, lastly, treasure Christ above all else. If you do this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you're here this morning or any Sunday for family obligations or because you want to look good or because you want others to think well of you, or because if you're not, people might get upset and judge you. You're here for the wrong reasons. I've said this a million times, and I'll say it a million more. Christianity is a really stupid hobby. It's like the dumbest hobby ever. If all this is, is just a place filler, a thing that you do on Sunday, then get something else to do. There's lots to occupy your time if, all the, if that's all that this is. But if Jesus is everything to you, take the world, but give me Jesus. If God could take everything from you in 2024 but himself, and you would still be filled with joy and peace and contentment 
and goodness and gentleness and kindness and faith and mercy and grace and righteousness and holiness. Then you have an understanding of the gospel. We ended our Bible reading plan this year in the book of Job. That's precisely what God did. God stripped his servant Job of everybody but himself. And what has God, Job come out of that realizing? I need more of you. If you do this, Paul says to Timothy, this will save you, not in a justification way, only God saves, but in a sanctifying way, in an ongoing way. Do you want to keep pursuing Christ? Then pay careful attention to yourself and the gospel and persist in that. Do you want guards and parameters in your life so that you'll continue to become more Christ-like and have more of him in 2024 and beyond? Do this. Pay careful attention to yourself and to the gospel and persist in that. Read more of him. Get to know more of him. I love our Bible reading plan in that it gives us the gospels throughout the year. So we're constantly brought back to Jesus, his life and his ministry. But of course, Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. <laughs> it's all about him. Marvel in the beauty that is Christ. The one, the parable of the kingdom, who finds a treasure in a field, sells everything that he has to buy the land because it's, nothing is worth more than Jesus. Nothing is worth more than Christ. I hope that's our heartbeat. That if this building was gone, and the comfy chairs were gone, and all of the cameras and all of that stuff was gone, and it was just a group of believers, even in hiding around a table, or even somewhere away from the government or, or uh, persecuting forces, that Jesus would be worth it. That he'd be everything to us. And that it would show that he'd be on our lips, he'd be in our hearts. He would be our passion. <clears throat> that we would be so overwhelmed by the fact that despite our sinfulness, <clears throat> he loves us and died for us. That his grace would still be amazing. That's my prayer. Has been our prayer as elders all throughout 2023 and continues to be our prayer in the 2024. Can we keep the main thing, <clears throat> the main thing? Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Thank you, Father for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We fall short every single day. And yet you love us. Your heart is gentle and lowly. You are for us and not against us. You want us to know more of you. You want us to see more of your majesty and glory and gentleness and kindness beauty, and righteousness, and holiness, and purity, and truth, and love, and justice. You want us in a world that is increasingly dark, confused, hurting, struggling, angry. You want us to be your light, your heart, your hands, your feet, your mind, your voice. Do we love our enemies and do we pray for them? 
Are we humble? We point others to you. Do we walk with others in their struggles for however long it takes? Are we present? Are we others-oriented? As one of the Moravians said, is it our goal to love you, serve you, die, and be forgotten? As our hearts cry that we would know you more and that those around us would know you more. Father, may we keep this the main thing in 2024 and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.